journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shalom, shalom, and Shavua Tov to everybody. Here's to a beautiful week ahead. Um, I can see there's a lot of rain, certainly in Johannesburg, and uh, hopefully that will cool down the very, very hot weather. Um, I've just returned from a, a an incredible trip to Israel for a week, and um, certainly it is it is always um, I don't know it fills up your heart to go and see the vibrancy of the Jewish nation um, and the incredible incredible spirit that the Jewish people have and the Im- immense amazing things that are happening. It was obviously marred by the terrorist attacks um, this weekend. Um, that that really jolted, I think, the consciousness of Jewish people around the world. But certainly it is something that we know when we learn in the Torah and we follow all the information in the Torah, we can see that anti-Semitism and the hatred of the Jew is not something that's new. It's not something that was created because of a green line or some UN resolution. But it is a much, much deeper, much, much more cosmic um, struggle between um, between nations, and it is important for us to always remember that if we want to seek out the truth, we need to seek out the truth by studying Torah, and that's what I'm going to be doing with you right now, inviting you to join me. We have started the book of Shemot, which is the in English called the book of Exodus, and simply because of that. We are starting to understand the entire story of the exodus from Egypt. We are in chapter 1, and uh, we are starting verse 15. So if you are not driving, please be my guest. Grab a Bible off the shelf, look it up, have a look inside, because one of the important things when learning um, Chumash, when learning the five books of Moses, and when learning any any text, um, is to look into the original and to see the, the 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 writing in Hebrew and to understand the Hebrew because in there there are so many nuances and so many things that we can glean. So where we left off last last time was that we saw a very very direct correlation. Um, regarding the subjugation of the Jewish people between what happened in Egypt and what even happened in modern times in terms of the Holocaust, which obviously we all can cast our minds back on because it's something that's still very real to us, even though it wasn't limited just to Egypt and the Holocaust, the, the Spanish expulsion and every other place the Jews were the same thing happened. But essentially, Pharaoh issued out a number of decrees um, over a number of years that just made it more harder and harder for Jews to actually function as full citizens until they found out that they were enslaved. And the Egyptians did all of that because they were fearful of the Jewish people. God had made a miracle. Um, they were they were growing at an Incredibly fast rate, the population of the, the Jewish the Jewish of the Jewish people, and he needed to try curb that. And the way you curb that is put is to put human beings under tremendous um, struggle, um, you know, um, in terms of day to day living. And then you'll see that the population the population uh, curve falls. But in the case of the Jews, God actually did it the other way around, and what we saw is that they were giving birth to six children at a time, 
and they were flourishing despite the fact that men and women had been separated, that they were working 20, 24, I think it was 24-6, I'm not sure if they even had Shabbat as a day of rest. Um, and, 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 and whilst things were very, very difficult on the ground and this enslavement was very, very bitter, nevertheless, the Jewish people were growing at an incredible rate and that frightened um, Pharaoh, it frightened his advisors, the Egyptians, because all they could see in their mind's eye was that the Jewish people were going to take over um, Egypt as their land if they carried on procreating in that way. So Pharaoh changes gear. He doesn't retract any of his terrible and harsh decrees. He actually adds in more. And verse 15 now picks up on the fact that he now has to find a way to try and curb these children that were being born so often and so many. Vayomer Melech Mitzrayim lam yaldot ha'ivriot asher shem ha'achat shifra shem ha'shenit puah. So the king of Egypt now speaks to the Hebrew midwives. What were the names of the Hebrew midwives? We are told here shifra and puah. By Yomer, and he says to them, When you come and you attend to the Hebrew woman during birth, and you look upon the twin stones, which I guess would be the, like the, the birthing stone, um, if it is a male, then you need to put him to death. But if it's a daughter, you can allow it to live. Now there's a tremendous amount to, to, to understand in these two verses. So essentially he's calling the two midwives and saying, listen, if you see it's a boy, please put it to death. If it's a girl, you can allow him to live. Well, basically what Pharaoh was talking about was he was resorting to in, infanticide. Okay, basically he was saying that you need to now start curbing the population and particularly the males and we are going to understand why with the males um, but you need to start killing them off. Now the word avnayim which is like the birthing stone or the twin stones um, actually is a hint to teach us that God created an incredible miracle. Because normally when women give birth um, um, to multiple offspring, they, they understandably remember there weren't hospitals, there, weren't, there wasn't anesthesia, there, there, there wasn't cesarean sections. These type of births are, were normally very painful and they would, they, they would torment the woman. Um, they wouldn't be able to bear it. But here God, so to speak, through the word avnayim, playing on the word of stone, which is an even, means that their bodies were stone-like insofar as they did not feel pain um, and their bodies were, were tough enough to allow them to, to give birth to so many kids. Now, one opinion holds that Pharaoh actually wanted the midwives to abort the children before they were born, to abort the fetuses before they were born, because then he would be able to hide behind the fact that it had nothing to do with him, but in fact that the um, children were born, stillborn. And so he wouldn't land up, um, you know, getting any flack for it. 
And so we are told that this conversation that he had with Shifra and Pua, the two midwives, was a, a top secret one. It was under wraps. Um, it was not for public uh, consumption because he didn't want neither Israelites or the, or the, or the Egyptians to know of this decree. Um, certainly he was not into, uh, getting a reputation as a king who kills all immigrants. Now, one can ask the question, well, if you're telling me that all the women were, no, there was no woman that, 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 that was sterile, they all had, they all were able to give birth, and on top of it, they were giving birth frequently, and they were having multiple births, surely two midwives, Shifra and Poor, would not be able to service and attend to all the women. Okay, so here we are told that Shifra and Poa were in fact the head, so to speak, of the midwives' guild. They they oversaw all the others, and they collected uh, taxes on all their fees. And you know they were basically part of a much bigger organization, though they were the boss. So that is really um, why we only hear about Shifra and Poa, but in fact there were others. Now, why why was he going and telling them, um, according to the one opinion, that they should actually try and kill the child um, so that when the child comes out, they would, in fact, be stillborn? Well, he knew that when it came, when it was, when you look back in Jewish history, Asav, um, Yaakov's twin, if you recall, he got really, really angry and he wanted to kill Yaakov. And what did he say? He said this in Genesis. He says, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. I will then kill Yaakov. Now, he didn't manage to, right? Because by the time he landed up trying to meet up with Yaakov, Yaakov had an entire family. So what Pharaoh's advisors said, you see, Asaph's plan to annihilate Yaakov's family was was deficient. Why? Because by the time Yitzhak died, Yaakov already had many children. He had left wives. Some of them were pregnant. Um, so it was impossible for him to eradicate the Jewish people. If you want to eradicate the Jewish people, then get the, the, the babies killed. Abort the babies. Make the babies come out stillborn. Do whatever it is you have to because then there will be no more children moving forward and then the, the, the nation will be exterminated. Now, the reason why Pharaoh was insistent on the males is because of a dream that he had. And we are going to discuss this right after the break. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Right, we're discussing about uh, Pharaoh's idea to destroy uh, destroy the Jewish nation by killing children as they come into this world either by murdering them as they come into the world or, as one opinion held, that they should try kill the fetuses somehow, that by the time the, the fetus is brought into this world, it is still born. Um, now, really, in truth, this entire logic doesn't make sense because what was he doing? He was trying to get rid of the males. Why was he trying to get rid of the males? It was because of his naysayers, his uh, his occult guys telling him that it looks like a redeemer is going to be born and he's going to take over Egypt, which I'm going to talk about um, somewhat more um, just later on now in the show. 
But in the meantime, um, while we are following this story, even if it wasn't that and he was trying to get rid of the males, just simply because the males are um, the ones that will obviously impregnate the woman, that in and of itself is bad logic because as long as there were many females, the survival of the Hebrew nation was assured. Why? Because a single male could obviously impregnate many females. If he had just used logic and he wanted to start curbing the Jewish people, he should have killed the females because then very few children would have been born in the next generation. So for both reasons, one, because he saw in the stars that a male, male child will be born, that made him nervous. But even from a culling of, 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 of the population, nevertheless, he needed to actually work out a logic that it would have made more sense that the, that she, he should kill the woman. Now, what is very, very interesting is that, um, you will see soon that he goes and he says that, um, you will see that they actually made it on purpose that the females would survive. And this is going to be an interesting discussion and a lesson for us about the power of the woman. But just before we get there, I want to give you some background um, on Shifra and Pua, these two midwives that he is addressing. Now, in those days, one of the most important leaders that existed then was a leader called Amram. Amram was a grandson of Levi, of the brother Levi. He was the son of Kahat. Kahat was a son of Levi. And this, this leader, Amram, married a woman called Yochevet. Yochevet was a daughter of Levi. So essentially, since Yochevet was Kahat's sister, she was Amram's Aunt. Now, normally, an aunt cannot marry uh, a nephew. It is a relationship that is not allowed according to Torah law. You can go look that up in Leviticus. However, since the Torah had not yet been given, such a marriage was permitted at that time. So Amram and Yochevet get married. They're both from the house of Levi. And in the year 1400 before the Common Era, it was the year 2361, a daughter is born to Amram and Yochevet, and they name this daughter Miriam. Where did they get the name? Well, the word Merarer, um, which it means bitter, um, was a description of the times they were living in there, obviously the Israelites were already feeling the bitterness of the Egyptian oppression. Miriam was born into that, and so they named him, named her Miriam. Then three years later, so if we're counting before the Common Era, we said 1400, so now we're going backwards in times, 1397, or if you're going up in the Hebrew calendar 2364, they had another son, and they called him Aharon. Aharon comes from Yara, which means to cast off or to throw off. And this indicated that, that, that what Pharaoh was doing was he was spilling the blood of the Jews and casting it to the ground. 
So that's the first important thing that I wanted to bring to your attention, that we're, we're setting the stage of uh, the story with the midwives, and obviously from that we're going to see the birth of Moses, um, but in the interim just to create his family, his mother and father were Amram and Yochevet, and there was a sister called Miriam and a brother called Aaron. The other thing that I want to do before we get back into the nitty-gritty of the story is to add to this, and this goes back like two or three podcasts. You remember there was this vicious grandson of Esau called Sefu who tried to um, overtake the Jews. I mean, over, yeah, to go kill the Jews, and they attacked the Egyptians, and, and they were chased away, and, and everything fell apart. He was the governor of of a, what's the name of, of Kittim, which we said was Italy. He, 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 he was there for 50 years. He, um, died. He landed up being succeeded by his son, Janos, Janius, um, who ruled for 50 years. And when this Sefo died, and this is an important element, what happened was that, uh, Bilam, who, uh, was the grandson to the king in Egypt, he leaves the land of Kittim and he immigrates to Egypt and there he's received with great honor because Pharaoh knew that he was a great occult, um, occultist and he was appointed as one of the royal advisors. And now we're going to see how all of these elements that I am telling you um, will, will come together. Now, verse 17 talks about these two midwives, Shifra and Puah. Vatirena hamliadot et elokim. These midwives feared God. Velo asu kashet diber alehem melech mitzrayim. They did not um, do what the king of Egypt asked of them. Vatichayena et hayeladim. They allowed the infant boys to live. Right, so we said, who was Shifra and Puah? So we are told that these were nicknames given to none other than Yochevet, right, um, and her daughter Miriam. Yochevet's professional name was Shifra, and why was she called Shifra? Because it comes from the word Shafar. Shafar means to beautify, that she was an expert in beautifying newborn infants. She used to clean them, she used to straighten their limbs, and she, she used to make them look all gorgeous and delightful to the mothers. And her daughter, Miriam, was called Pua, which comes from the word Pa'a. Pa'a means to coo, to go poop, 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 like that. Okay? And so it said that she had, she was an expert in relaxing the kids. She used to coo to the kids, and they would calm down, and they would stop crying. And she had an incredible soothing effect on these um, new babies, like many of the expert expert nurses. Now, what we need to understand is that Pua, Miriam, was only five years old at the time. She came with her mother, Yochevet, um, and they were the ones that were, like, so to speak, running the show. However, another opinion goes and says that Shifra and Pua were not Yochevet and Miriam, but rather Yochevet and a young lady called Elisheva. Elisheva was the daughter of Aminadab, and Elisheva was going to marry, well, was not was going to, did marry Aharon. Okay? 
Um, so really, the relationship then between Shifra and Pua was not mother and daughter, but mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. Either way, one of the things that we understand is that if you go and look into the um, spelling when they talk about the two, the, the, the two of them, it says "meyaldot ha'ivriot," loosely translated as the Hebrew midwives. But if you look at the word "meyaldot ivriot," anybody who understands the dictum, the grammar of the Hebrew language will see that both the word meyaldot, which is plural female, and ivriot, which is plural female, the end vav is missing. It's deficient. So why is it deficient? Because it came and it's coming to teach us that they were very, very close to each other. Okay, either they were mother-daughter or mother-in-law, daughter-in-law. And it also indicates that one of the two was still very young, meaning that there really only was one midwife, that was Shifra, and that was Yochevet, and the other was secondary to her. There's another completely different opinion that comes and says that Shifra and Pua were in fact Egyptian women, and they later became Giorets, they, 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 they converted, and that they were pious women and they refused to carry out, um, Paroi's order. Now, um, one of the interesting things is that if they had to fill, uh, Paro's decree, then it could just go and say, the law asu kashe diber alehem melech mitzrayim. They didn't do what the king of Egypt told them to. Why do we have to have the words, vatchayena etayeladim, and they allowed the infant boys to live? Obviously, if you didn't kill them, they by de facto, they de facto would be alive. So why is that it, like it's a, it's, a, it's a redundant expression. Why does the Torah do that? So um, we're told that the, it wasn't a passive thing that they just stayed away and they didn't want to fulfill Paro's order, but they actually made it their business to ensure that the children uh, were born and that they would have a good life and that they needed everything. In fact, so much so that it says they would pray Whenever a woman was having a difficulty in childbirth, that um, the, the, the child, the, the, the birthing process should go smoothly, um, and they 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 asked God to assist them. And not only did they do that, but what they did is that they they raised funds from for anybody who couldn't sustain their children. And this is. Um, and where do we learn this from? From those words, but chayena et hayeladim. They gave, they, they, they made the children, the boys live. There's another extra word in here which actually indicates and corroborates what I'm saying, and that's the word et. Et in English doesn't have a translation, but if you wanted to say they allowed or they ensured the, 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 the life of the boys, you should have read it, but chayena hayeladim. They made live the boys. Et hayeladim, it's called the um, predicated noun, comes to teach us that not only did they go out of their way to help 
the boys to live, but they ensured that the mothers live as well. Now, where did they get their inspiration from? What made them come to a point of doing all that they did and have the goal to defile Paroi? Well, we're told that they were righteous women. If we are following on uh, the the opinion that it was Yochevet and Miriam, Yochevet and Miriam came from the lineage of the Jewish people, and they knew very well about their great-great-grandfather, Avraham. We know that when Avraham was commanded by God to sacrifice his son Yitzhak, you remember God said, take your son, your only one, the one you love, Yitzhak, and bring him up as a burnt offering. Avraham could easily have argued with God and said, that's not fair. You said through Yitzhak, you will have offspring. But we know that one of the, the, the greatnesses, the great greatnesses of Avraham was that he never stopped to question God's Word. He hurried to do God's bidding and he went beyond the requirements of logic. Um, and it was, it, it, we are told that Abraham feared God. So the midwives got a lot of inspiration from that. And that's why we are also told that they feared God, meaning the requirements of logic would, and the law would go and tell them, don't you dare go. And uh, and go against Paroi's bidding. He'll just behead you, okay? Um, and go and do what you have to do. But they didn't. They went beyond the letter of the law and said, this is certainly not what God wanted. And irrespective of what the result would be, um, we are we are going to fear God and not do what uh, what Pharaoh wanted. Furthermore, one of the things was, as I told you, is that they, they, they raised money. They brought insufficient food and they fed both the mother and the child to ensure that they would live. Where did they get that from? Same, same thing here. They learned it from Abraham, from our forefather Abraham. We know his house was open on all four sides and he would receive guests without asking them about who they are, etc., etc. So they made it their business again to follow in the footsteps of Abraham and nourish the infants and do what they had to do. Well, you can just imagine then if they were told to do one thing and they were doing another thing, that it would soon come to the ears of Pharaoh and he would understand and know and realize that he wasn't being listened to. And that's exactly what happened. Let's look in verse 18. Vayikra Melech Mitzrayim lemeyaldot. The king of Egypt summoned the midwives. Vayomer lahen, and they said, he said to them, Madua asitem hadavar hazeh. Why are you doing this? The techayena etayeladim. You are actively allowing the infant boys to live. I told you, kill them, kill them at birth, or do something as the baby is being birthed, and make sure they come out as stillborns. And you are actively ensuring that. They, 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 they were living. So what did the, the, the Hebrew woman, what did the midwife say to Paroi? These Jewish women are not like the Egyptian woman. They know how to deliver and they give birth before you can even call a midwife.
So Pharaoh was angry with them, okay, shouting at them that you are going through the trouble of collecting the funds for these destitute mothers so that they can feed their children, and you're giving me this this excuse, right, that they don't even call you, that business has gone down, they're like kind of almost, and they spoke derogatory about the Jewish woman to save them, saying that they were like wild beasts. They were giving birth naturally in the field, and they didn't require any any help. So how come Pharaoh bought that story? Okay. And to him, it sounded logical. Well, what did they say? Um, they said, you know, the Jewish people are not stupid. They are fully aware that you summoned us. And it's not very difficult for them to figure out the reason. They know that you want us to harm and kill the newborn infants. And since they are able to do all of this without us, they have dispensed of our services. So what we are doing is we are buying food and coming in so that it's not because we love the Jewish people. Okay, we saw that there were that that since since there was no more business, we had to find a way to gain access into their homes. So by providing food for the poor families, they would it, it would it would provide an incentive for them to call us in, and then we would be able to obey your orders and kill the babies. And that's why it fell. It 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 fell uh, it uh, it fell fine on Pharaoh and he didn't he 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 accepted that 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 reasoning and so they didn't get harmed. This is one hundred one point nine high FM. High FM one hundred and one point nine megahertz of life. Well, not only did the midwives manage to calm down Pharaoh and allow them to do their holy work of allowing Jewish boys to be born, God also um, gives them a gift. And if you look in verse 20, it says, Vayitav Elohim lam yaldot. God was good to the midwives because they were doing what's right. Vayerev ha'am v'yatsmumeod. And the people grew in number and they became numerous. So what we see over here is that they were actually blessed. Okay? How did they how were they blessed? Well, firstly, we know that um that Yochebed gave birth to Moshe, gave birth to Moses. We know the whole of the Torah is called Torah Moshe, the Torah of Moshe. So that was like a huge schot, a huge uh, uh, gift to, to, to Yochevet. Miriam became the grandmother of another famous individual called Betzalel. Betzalel was the builder of the Mishkan, of the tabernacle. He was filled with a spirit of wisdom and he had the ability and knowledge of how to build, to build, to build the temple. And we were also told that they became very, very wealthy. Um, and so, they, they, they actually did unbelievably well. Furthermore, the verse in 21 goes, And since the midwives feared God, God made for them houses. And houses here means gave them a legacy. The, the, uh, Miriam and, um, Yochevet became the mothers of the Levim and of the kings. Let's just go back again. 
We know that Yocheved was the mother of Moshe, as I just went and said. He was the, he, he became, he was like the foremost of the Levium, and obviously also Yocheved was the mother of Aaron, and he became from the Kohanim. And not only did Miriam have Betzalel, but King David was a descendant, and so she gave rise, effect, uh, rise effectively to the house, the royal house of Israel. Now, there is an interesting illusion here, and this is why I was saying in the beginning, it's important that we learn all of this um, inside, in Hebrew, in the original, because there are nuances that you cannot pick up in a translation. If you look at verse 21, Vayas lahem batim, and he made houses for them, we're initially translating it that God made legacies for them, like houses of children, of, of legacy that came down in terms of the Kohanim and the Levim. But if you look at the actual diktuk again, at the grammar, v'ya'os lahem batim, lahem means for them, but masculine. If he was actually saying that they were the mothers of houses, then you should have read v'ya'os lahen, with a n, with a na 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 na, not a ma 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 ma, not with an m, but with an n. But it's with an m. So it's in the, in the, in, in the male, not in the female. So what does it mean that they made houses? So one opinion goes and says that because they were God-fearing, because the midwives were God-fearing, what God went and did is that he appointed Egyptians to oversee the Jews. And the houses he made were for those overseers. And the job of those Egyptian overseers was to spy on the Jews and to report whenever a child, whenever a child would be born. Um, and those houses were obviously nearby, so they would know what's happening. Why? He had to do that because of the fact that the midwives feared God and they were not listening to him. So that's a plan that Pharaoh concocts up and it backfires because Shifra and Pua and the whole midwife establishment went against um, Paroi. He then goes and sticks on um, sticks on uh, overseers and that is not working either. So then what happens? He decides he can't just rely on the midwives. He needs to make this much bigger. Verse 22 So now he gives an order to all the people, to all the Egyptians saying every son that is born um, of the Jewish people, cast them into the Nile, throw them into the Nile, and every daughter you will allow to live. Now let's just quickly go into some detail about that. What made him do that? Well, in 1394, before the Common Era, that means Shifra, uh, that, that, that Miriam was already five, that Aaron was, was three, Paro had a terrible nightmare. What did he see? He saw himself sitting on his throne, and as he lifted his eyes, an old man came holding a balance in his hand. And this old man took all the nobles, all the fancy governors of Egypt, all the pharaohs, and he plonked them all on one side of the of the scale, and on the other, he put a small lamb. 
And to Pharaoh's surprise, the lamb outweighed all the leaders of Egypt. So he woke up very, very early. This is all beginning of all the bad dreams that poor old Pharaoh would be having. And he calls in his interpreters, calls in all the occultists and all the, 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 the magicians, and he tells him to interpret. And we get three interpretations through the three main guys that I've spoken about before earlier. The first was Bilam, which I spoke about even today. Bilam went and said, this dream is an evil omen. Great evil is coming upon Egypt. The Israelites are about to give birth to a child. They're going to destroy the entire land. He's going to kill your people. He's going to free the Israelites. They're going to leave the land. I suggest you do something to avert this catastrophe. And the way you must do it is you must kill all male Jewish children before they grow up. That was his opinion. Then Pharaoh called uh, Yitro, um, who was eventually going to be Moses' father-in-law, as we spoke earlier in a previous podcast. Um, and Jethro went and said, if the king wants to listen to my advice, I think you will benefit greatly. Don't do anything bad to the Jewish people, because long ago God cho- cho- chose them to be the um, uh, chose them from all the nations of the world as his own special people. And any king who's going to try to do something to the Jewish people, God's vengeance will be upon him. And he starts explaining and reminding Pharaoh about Abraham when he came to Egypt and how Pharaoh was stricken and how then um, King Avimelech um, got, uh, got, had an inflammation on, in his eyes and his nostrils that he couldn't breathe because of Sarah. And then he reminded a similar episode with Yitzchak, um, with Avimelech and, and, and the drying up of the wells, etc., etc. So he says, and I'm telling you, if you listen, if you are on the side of the Jews, you're going to be fine. Remember the previous parallel who listened to Joseph and look what happened. Therefore, Yitro gave a completely diametrically opposed opinion. If you take my advice, don't do anything. Let the Jews go. Let them go to their homeland. To that, Pharaoh was so mad, so furious um, that uh, Yitro realized that Paroi was going to go kill him. And so at this point in time, Yitro runs away and he goes to Midian. And we will meet with him much later again, okay, Um when 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 Moshe comes down and marries his daughter Zipporah, Job's advice was Parav. He went and said, um, "Look, you're you're our master. You're the Lord of the land. Who would presume to tell you what to do? I don't know. It's you know, just confiscate their property and make them do hard labor." But as we said, he was like more of the Parav nation, and that's why he suffered his entire life. But the decision eventually. Um, was promulgated according to Bilam. And this is why, uh, Bilam, this is why this decree came out. And we are told that on the very day that Pyroi made this decree, that was the day that Moses was born. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Now, why did Pharaoh say that you should drown the babies? Why didn't he say just take a gun and go shoot all of them? We are told that the astrologers saw that um, this redeemer would die by water, which is true because much later on, 
right at the end of the five books of Moses. Why does Moses die? Because he hit the rock um, that had, that brought forth water instead of speaking to it. So there was some truth to it, but they misunderstood it. And so they figured, well, if they see in the stars that this Redeemer would die by water, well, then let's go and drown all of them. And that is what happened. And one last thing that I wanted to bring out is that, um, gosh, why did I just forget what I wanted to bring out? Ah, yes, I remember now that they were so nervous that it says every son that is born you shall cast into the Nile. Here we're learning that they got so nervous about this Redeemer that even the Egyptian boys were cast into Nile. There was no distinguishing between the Israelites and the Egyptians, and this really, really made uh, things far worse and far more difficult. Can you imagine now an Egyptian child having to be put to death and thrown into the water because they were so scared? that this Redeemer would be born. But as we know, um, Moses was born um, prematurely. He didn't go to the ninth month. He was born in the seventh month on purpose because the day that he made this decree was the day that he was born. God made that he was born early, so it would miss this decree. And we will then follow on the story that for the first three months, Yochebed managed to hide Moses, and only then he took, she, she took him to the River Nile. But that's for another time um, and a, another show. I hope you learned something today, and I've enjoyed being in your company. Stay tuned, and I'll be back same time next week. This is 101.9 Chai FM.